This program is presented by a community producer through Midland Community Television. The City of Midland and MCTV are not responsible for the content of the program. The views presented do not necessarily represent those of the City of Midland or MCTV. If you would like to produce your own program, contact MCTV at 837-3474 or access our website, cityofmidlandmi.gov slash MCTV. six times a Sunday and it started out as a uh, day-long seminar on tick-borne disease and I've, I've scaled way back and I'm trying to focus on the mental health aspects of this um, but I will it will degrade into other aspects so I apologize okay myths I kind of touched on how long they have to attach you have to only be outdoors what if you have animals they bring them in I have a friend who had dogs on the coast but they slept in the bed. He had ticks crawling all over at night. Uh, his son, him, his wife, and parents were all involved. I just met this, he was a random stranger I ran into at the health club a week after my son died. Got talking to him and he went, I told him what happened. He said, ticks, I had ticks. And I had that rash many times. Oh, by the way, why is my face drooping? And I'm irritable, I can't sleep. I'm going through marriage counseling with my wife. Uh, so I've been trying to help him. You always get the bullseye, urethane migraines, rash. You know, it's variable, but anywhere from, you know, 20 to 30 people, percent of people do not get it. You know when you're bitten, my son didn't, most people don't. Uh, you test negative for body flows. Again, I told you, this stuff does not like to stay in the blood, in the CSF, in the joint fluid. If you want to look in the cartilage of the knee, you're having a knee scope, and you have your orthopedic surgeon take a little piece, you might, you'll have a higher uh, return on that. Um, and uh, you can't, if you test negative, okay. So say you don't have any of those things, uh, you can still have Lyme disease. You can just have Lyme disease with fatigue, sleeping problems, skin issues. They affect all systems, multi-system, gastrologic, pulmonary. PCRs are good, you know, this polymerous chain reaction, that's like the COVID test, you know, they're good, but they're not perfect. Um, it's anything but easy to, <clears throat> to diagnose and treat. Uh, so, neurological problems from Lyme disease are not common. No, they're very common. They can come on suddenly. These bugs go quickly to the neurologic system in the CNS. It's not Lyme, it's MS or ALS, or we can always tell the difference. MS and Lyme disease present the same. They present the same. Lots and lots of case reports, okay? And the same with ALS. He was a famous Colorado oncologist that was misdiagnosed with ALS, and uh, he treated himself and got better. Luke Gehring had a home in Lyme, Connecticut. Maybe he was one of the first Lyme patients. PANS is real. So PANS is a takeoff on the PANDAS syndrome. The next slide talks about that, but it's 
The PANS acronym is Pediatric Acute Neuropsychiatric Syndrome. And it's a subset of PANDAS, which is you know, Pediatric Autoimmune Neuropsychiatric uh, Disease after cervical cocktail infection. We'll, we'll look at those. Large antibiotics for Lyme disease and unproven treatment is highly dangerous. Bullshit, sorry. Um, reports of Lyme being mistaken for other diseases are rare. Not true. Bartonella only appears as cat scratch fever and will go away on its own without treatment. And it's not caused by ticks. Now, just like COVID, 50% of people who get COVID never know they had it. Yes, you can get Lyme, Bartonella, and, not, and get over it. You'll still be carrying it, but you, your immune system keeps it in check. But a lot of people, it's not that case. Um, can't be transmitted in utero. Not true. Doesn't cause autism or Alzheimer's. This is, there's so many peer-reviewed papers that dispute this, it's, it's almost sad. Uh, and I can tell you it can cause schizoaffective disorder and other psychiatric problems. So here's a pediatric disease. And I would suggest, I think I have another slide, that, the, that this isn't just a pediatric thing. So this is, um, this is based on this woman, Susan Sweeter. She's a pediatrician in uh, D.C. She was at the National Children's Hospital. And she had these sudden, a sudden onset of 50 kids who had disabling OCD after strep infection. She studied them. They had inflamed basal ganglia. She did auto, <coughs> autoneuronal antibody studies, and she found they had autoneuronal antibodies. So they're, they're exhibiting molecular mimicry. So their antibodies are attacking their basal ganglia. When you have inflamed basal ganglia, you get severe OCD. She treated them with immunomodulatory therapy, sometimes just nonsteroids, steroids, IBIG, something even plasmapheresis, and they got better. So a subset of these kids, um, and, and there's a lot of pediatricians and neurologists that don't believe this. There were some subsequent studies that weren't as definitive, but, uh, and this is a test you get. This is from Molecular Labs in Oklahoma. I know these people. My son had this done. He had two antineuronal antibodies, and this is the real deal. Yeah, there's good science behind this. That the academic neurologists don't buy in this. They want they, they want the Mayo Clinic antineuronal panel. You know, the same same science. So anyhow, getting back to this, so the PANS is just a subset of this. It doesn't have to be pediatric patients. It doesn't have to be streptococcus. Any infection will do this. Okay, so it shouldn't actually be. Pediatric, it should just be, and it doesn't have to be acute, it can be chronic, okay? And, uh, and so I, I think, I, yeah, misnomer really should be rep represent any age or speed. So multiple infections can do this. Herpes uh, simplex, uh, seen bar HIV, sinusitis, common cold, mycoplasma, Bartonella. They've all been ID'd as triggers. So bottom line, we should start testing all patients with severe neuroactive neuropsychiatric symptoms for antineural antibodies, okay? Yes, they cost a little bit of money, but I mean, there's a lot of bang for the buck here. You could take care of a lot of chronic problems. And uh, so Lyme disease complex um, is kind of the, the coexisting uh, diseases. So almost 50% of uh, people who continue to be symptomatic after treatment of acute Lyme disease exhibit antineural antibody activity. Okay, it's a big number. So ticks exhibit all these surface proteins uh, in the outer surface protein A, OSP A, uh, BB is brilliant Gudorpii. It has an amino acid sequence to strep, the strep protein, so it makes sense that BB can trigger the syndrome similar to pan and pandas. So check a cognitive panel.
Okay. So just to talk about um, the numbers. So uh, so you can have these infections, the coaxing infections, independent of the Borrelia, but you know the CDC crews along for years since the year 2000, talking about only 30,000 patients a year. Well, they were faced with these insurance data that showed it was you know 12 to 15 times that. So just in the last couple of years, they started bumping the number up near 500,000, and that's uh, <laughs> it's actually much higher than that. And there's estimated to be 2 million people with chronic Lyme disease in the U.S. right now. Here's Willie Bergdorfer. This is our Swiss tick um, surgeon brought over from Switzerland in the early 50s to work for the Department of Defense at the Rocky Mountain Labs in Hamilton. And uh, he was involved in offensive biological warfare. But he was also the person they brought in to... Uh, the East Coast to uh, look at the ticks after Alan Steer, uh, a rheumatologist from Yale, described it in 75 after Polly Murray, a mom uh, who collected data in her neighborhood for 10 years. She collected 51 kids who had, uh, she known had juvenile arthritis. And this is a disease that occurs, you know, 305 kids out of 100,000 kids. Uh, that's the incidence, okay? As of a few years ago, there were only 24 residents in Lyme, Connecticut. So she, she found 51. So she contacted the Connecticut Department of Health. They brought Alan Steer in. He was convinced it was a virus. Willie showed that it was a spirochete. Alan Steer made his name in academic medicine, wrote a paper on that. And he, and, um, anyone who's been in medicine had to learn the major and minor symptoms of Lyme disease. And Alan Steer created the minor symptoms and massaged the data related to chronic Lyme disease. I always thought that was weird. If you had disabling fatigue, you wouldn't think it was a minor symptom. But he totally dismissed it because it didn't work with his data. And that was the Willie Bergdorf's paper in 83. So this bug's been around forever. Now, this is Otzi who froze, he uh, thawed out of the Italian Alps with the melting glaciers in uh, 5,300 years ago, and he was found to have uh, Borrelia in, in his system. Uh, it goes further back. So this is 1,500 million, 50 million years ago, uh, fossilized amber in the Dominican Republic. We've got ticks and Borrelia there. And it goes back further. They were on dinosaurs. Okay, they've been a, around a long time. They're smart. They figured out how to coexist with a lot of things. And we're last to the party here. So here's what I'm talking about. There's a hypostome. He injects it, the cement cone. And note the mid-gut and the blood. And so there's all this argument that, you know, they got to be attached for three days before it'll come out of the gut. Well, that's not, I'm sorry. There's all sorts of science saying that that doesn't always happen that way. It doesn't fit their happy plan. The ticks don't always read the, read the textbook. And here's some of these uh, reactivation times. You see the Powassan virus in Tularem at the bottom. You can get it within 15 minutes. You don't want to be carrying this around for 72 hours. Some of the, some of the diseases, Lyme, Babesia, are looking at anaplasma, tick-borne relapsing fever on the left, Bartonella in the center, and Rickettsia on the bottom. These numbers are a little old, but um, things are spreading. Uh, and here's a 21 uh, black-legged deer tick established, estimated, and the CDC will tell you that it doesn't exist in some of those middle states, but there's lots of data that show that it does, just not like New Jersey and Connecticut. The blue is the Pacific, uh, Pacific. And here's our Lone Star tick, mostly in the South Central, but it, it looks like it made up in Michigan. 
It's a little bit on the West Coast. It's spreading. You know, before we started experimenting with the Plum Island, well, Long Island Sound, it was never found in New England. But uh, we did um, biological warfare on Plum Island and uh, with a few hurricanes and the labs blew down and, and now it's all over New England. Here's Michigan. Um, the, it's here. Here's Michigan, and every state looks like this. I'll just pick Michigan because we're here. There's Oregon, where I'm from. This is only 2020. That's 20 years worth, so it's three years out of date. But the, I, I assure you, the slope is doing the same. So, uh, Sir William Osler, who's kind of the father of uh, medicine, um, said, uh, here are some great quotes. He said, he who knows syphilis knows medicine, and he was the great imitator. So he could imitate any disease process or presentation. And syphilis is actually the dumb cousin. So for the non-medical ones in the crowd, this, this is a spirochete, and it drills itself in like a wine corkscrew into your tissue, joints, brain, heart. So syphilis has 22 genes. Lyme has 132. Well, note, it has 21 plasmids. And plasmids are small organelles in your cytoplasm that can have genetic material in them that control virulence and gene expression. And these things can change, you know, like a chameleon. And they hide from our immune system, okay? Probably the most complex bacteria known to mankind. And it's actually it's the most highly patented, too, because all our friends in the um, CDC got patents on the Brillia bug when they were trying to develop the Lymerx vaccine. And that's why they're denying the fact that chronic Lyme exists. Well, it has three stages, supposedly, but again, the bugs don't read this. It can be variable. It's already localized, disseminated, late disseminated. And, you know, the, the rash is variable. It's not there. It's, it can be, it can look a lot of different ways. But almost uniformly, you need to be suspicious if you come across the summer flu, because the bugs are most, the ticks are most active in May, June, May, June, and July. And so you don't get influence in the summer. That's what it feels like. Massive headaches, sweats, myalgias, and then uh, the later symptoms with the sleeping disorders. All patients with this have sleeping problems, either hypersomnia or insomnia, too much or too little. And there's a classic stiff neck you get. And uh, any migrating nerve pain is pathognomonic for this. No other disease creates migrating nerve pains. You can have migrating joint pains, but migrating nerve pains, um, this is the only thing that does it. So, rapid dissemination. It rapidly disseminates after the tick bite appears in the CNS within hours of days. Spinal serology is terribly insensitive. Only 9% of the time do you find antibodies in the CSF. All cases disseminated line involved CNS. Negative serology does not rule out CNS infection. And neurological line is vastly underdiagnosed. So here's just a number, another number. Uh, I guess I had this slide twice. Okay. And a persistent infection of Lyme disease. Uh, there's 273 peer-reviewed articles supporting the persistence of infection in all species, in all animal models, and the CDC still uh, disputes this. In the 20, this is a New Yorker article in um, 13. So all sorts of docs across the Northeast, and actually, actually one right in Saginaw, Michigan, 
1998 was taken uh, to task and to the mat by the uh, different uh, boards of medicine for the respective states. And it was all about over-treating with antibiotics, despite the, patient, the fact that the patients were getting better. Um, this is subsequently, um, there's a lot of legislation to prevent this now, and it's gone by the wayside, but the CDC still doesn't condone uh, long-term antibiotic use. So this is a paper in 21. This is referencing this actually out of Columbia. Um, got got to love Denmark. So they have a national health system that um, keeps track of everyone. They have 7 million people in this registry. And they looked at Lyme disease and mental illness. Guess what? Huge association. Big surprise. Increased suicides, increased affective disorders. And so here's some of the neuropsychiatric symptoms you can get from Lyme. <laughs> Rage, explosive anger, extreme irritability, low frustration, tolerance, sudden mood swings. My son had all those hallucinations, paranoia, intrusive thoughts and images, and melting faces. And um, this, is, this keeps coming up time and time again. And terrible intrusive thoughts, but melting faces. Uh, extreme disinhibition with public nudity. And... Uh, Schizoaffective disorder, the brain fog is disabling, poor memory, poor executive function. You can't remember what you're going to do after putting your shoes on, you know, where you're going, what you're supposed to do next. It's just disabling. You can't read, you can't focus on screens, you have nonstop headaches, and then the sleeping abnormalities, and again, that migrating nerve pain, pathognomonic. So here's what costs, what we're spending on psychiatric hospitalizations. $1,300 a day, $418,000 a year per patient. That's, and this is 2018 data in prisons in California. That's one of the more expensive states. It's about four to one. And so we're, I guess we're looking at, we're getting a better deal with our prison system. Um, but I tell you, that would make, that would buy a lot of hygienics testing and fund some Lyme clinics. And this is the argument I'll be making to our governor who declared a war on homelessness. What caused these? Yes. So here, this is interesting. So two, two papers written, two studies, 23 years apart. The symptoms are exactly the same to the percentile. Explosive rage at 26%. Here's some different types of uh, infections. And uh, this is Judith McClossey, uh, she's a Swiss investigator, and she has written extensively on really um, infections in uh, Alzheimer's patients, and uh, it's very impressive what she's done. So different migratory pain, here it is, the only disease uh, that causes migratory nerve pain. And some reasons why the testing doesn't work, I'm gonna speed through these, interlaboratory uh, variation, these things are basically a coin flip, and you could just skip the ELISA. And um, let's go quickly. So this is interesting. This wasn't out of Iraq. You know, I thought we, they still do science. Iraq was actually a very sophisticated um, country before it fell apart, but they still do good science there. So they looked at um, schizophrenic patients or psychotic patients. This is just three years old. And they uh, did PCRs looking for Borrelia in them. 255 out of 389 patients were positive, 65%. Remember that number. So why, if it's like that in Iraq, why couldn't it be like that here? 
So this is this summer from Dan O'Kinner, the anorexia neurobosa. I don't know if I already had that slide, but anyhow, causing eating disorders, um, autism. I'm treating autism with polymicrobial vector. And this is just from August this year. This case report just came out. Okay, pattern recognition. Important to, important to recognize patterns when you're looking at diagnosis and treatment. They, these things wax and wane. And you feel better, they can present differently. They're cyclic and migratory. Here's some rashes. So no, Anthony Horowitz, Richard Horowitz rather, in, a, in a Hudson River Valley, he's a, he's a really bright guy and he's written extensively on this. His study showed that only 20% of people have rashes. If you listen to the CDC of the Bob study, New England Journal of Medicine, they say 80% of people. You know, the truth is somewhere in between. Most people say 25 to 30%. But um, it's not required um, for a diagnosis. But if you have it, it is diagnostic. But does that mean you should you should still treat? You should still examine for uh, co-infections if you have this. So it can present many forms. There are 18 different rashes that. Uh, the EM rash can take uh, the form of, and the bottom take-home message is they don't hurt. They can be vesicular though. They can look at other things. They can be atypical sunburn, herpetic lesions, dermatitis. Um, you have to have a low index of suspicion, <coughs> or a high index of suspicion. I think that's misspelled there. Anyhow, enough of the rashes. Uh, if you have dark skin. Sorry, dark skin. It's they're tougher to uh, they're tougher to diagnose. Look at the arm in the bottom right, and uh, they're not always circular. The classic bullseye is quite rare. That's a take home. And other there's some other rashes. And spider bites painful with a necrotic center. Um, so that's not on the right. And there's wingworm on the left. It's not raised or warm, and it's not and it's scaly. Okay, so I think in the mad interest of time, I'm going to speed through this. Um, the testing is atrocious. Get a get a hygienics test out of California. Private insurance doesn't cover it, but Medicare does. Um, this has to do with I, this has to do with antibody levels. IgM goes up first, IgG second. IgM can be chronically elevated, and there's a lot of nuances here. There's a curve of the antibodies. So this is one thing I want to touch on. So in 1994, they made the whole Lyme, the CDC made the whole Lyme world really complicated. It was already a challenging um, proposition, but um, there was a problem. Um, there was a lot of talk about a uh, vaccine and there was a lot of money behind that. And um, because of the Bay Dole Act in 1980, a lot of the federal scientists were able to get patent their research. And also the ELISA test is a two-tiered system for those who aren't familiar with it. So ELISA is the enzyme linked in the assay. And uh, it's kind of a screen. It's looking for true positives. And it was, uh, it was useless. And the Western blot was more sensitive. So they wanted to make the Western blot less sensitive. And they wanted to, because the makers of the ELISA test wanted <coughs> it wasn't being used. And so they took out. They wanted to make the Western blot more restrictive. They eliminated outer surface proteins, uh, OS B and OS A, bands 31, 34. Now you had to have five or 10 bands for a diagnosis. Uh, and it happens that 31 and 34 correspond to chronic Lyme disease. They usually come on after a year. So 
They included bands that aren't specific to Lyme disease and gave rates that are false positive. They excluded bands that were very specific to Lyme disease and gave rise to false negatives. Uh, true positive is if you have it, the test positive, you have it, and true negative is if it's negative, you don't have it. Uh, and it, it accounted for unacceptably low accuracy. So, and it was supposed to be meant only for surveillance, but all the insurance companies grabbed a hold of it, and all the docs in the real world use it also, and it's really hurt people. Um, my son had indeterminate tests, and uh, you can get them to report the Western, all the bands if you ask. Um, so this gentleman, Dante, was, um, um, he was on the CDC and he objected, and this is a, his quote, never before in medicine have I witnessed so few people had so much influence and been so wrong, and he resigned from the CDC after that. Um, and so how can you trust a test when a positive result doesn't mean you have it, a negative result doesn't mean you don't have it? Why do we use an immune-based test when the disease that it, when the disease causes an immune suppression? So Liza misses 50, 56% of the time of false negatives. The American College of Pathology sent Lyme blood out to 516 labs, and 55% couldn't accurately ID the samples. Just imagine if a pregnancy test was that accurate. And HIV is a 500 times more accurate. So because of this, a bunch of states mandated that um, doctors inform their um, patients that these tests cause false negatives and they could still have the disease. They weren't telling them this. Here's an example of the immunoblathomygenics on the right using recombinant DNA. It's much clearer to read. The one on the left is subjective, uses electrophoresis, and uh, the technician uh, has to make some judgment calls on reading it. Remember, most dangerous tests is false negative. Uh, take home points on testing. Skip the ELISA, use hygienics. Those are the line bands. Um, I'm just going to go quickly through that. Everybody needs to be evaluated for co-infections. If the diagnosis is unclear, consider therapy trial antibiotics. So this, Kenneth Legner was an internist um, in New York, and he's famous in the Lyme world. He took care of a patient named Vicki Logan in 1989. Vicki had, had chronic Lyme, neuro-Lyme, and had been misdiagnosed and missed for years. She could barely speak, barely walk. And he, um, he's, 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 he and she are featured in the quiet epidemic, but um, he treated her for 109 days of ceftriaxone, that's IV and IV antibiotic. And, um, and she begged him for another lumbar puncture after that. She still wasn't doing that great. And so um, the um, CDC um, Fort Collins had just developed a new um, growth media for spirochetes, and they, uh, he had some. So he put a few drops of CSF in that and sent out to Colorado. And uh, it grew. It grew spirochetes after 109 days. And the CDC refuses to believe this. Um, she died shortly thereafter. She was a she was a uh, critical care pediatric nurse, and uh, she was very. Uh, she talked about she hoped her sacrifice would help others in the future. So I hope we can utilize her sacrifice moving forward. Bunch of celebrities have been in the news recently. Chris Christopherson, misdiagnosed with fibromyalgia and Alzheimer's. He already put him in a senior home, but someone in his family insists they look for Lyme. Got him on antibiotics. He's back playing music. I think he stepped down subsequently, but the list goes on. Shania Twain, Mark Waffalo, Justin Bieber, you know, it goes on. You know, 
Um, Robin Williams had Louis body dementia. Those Louis bodies, this is a quote from Alan McDonald, the Louis bodies are dead Beryllia, okay? Um, Ted Turner, Louis body dementia too. So here's a, here's a uh, management, tick bite prophylaxis, 120, 200 milligrams twice a day for 20 days, acute treatment, the same six weeks. If you do less, if you follow the CDC, you will get breakthrough infections left and right. Four to six weeks. And that, again, it doesn't treat Babesia, so you need to be evaluated for that. Here's a silly paper from the New England Journal. It's just embarrassing. So here's uh, Bartonella, gram-negative rod. You know, it too grows very, very slowly. Um, 53 species, um, 18, I guess I, 18 or 20. Um, very fastidious, it doubles every 22 to 24 hours. So example, E. coli, it, it doubles every 20 minutes. And if you have an E. coli septicemia, you'll have 10 to the 13th power bugs in your system. With these, with this, you may only have 1,000 or 10,000 bugs. They're very hard to detect. Okay, 30 species worldwide. They're in whales, dolphins, penguins. They've been around forever. Um, all these vectors, um, chiggers, lice, flies, beaters, fleas are, are really important. Um, so flea feces is the culprit there. Flea feces is active with the bug for 12 days after the flea excretes it. They get out of the cat nails, they scratch. So maybe the old adage of the crazy old cat woman is so far off. Found in feral mummified cats. Uh, so the three most common species, really, hence I, cat scratch disease, Quintana, five-day fever, and, and Bilsformis. That's the one with the sand flies and hemolytic and EV with the 7,000 row or burgers. Um, it's called Carrion's disease because Daniel Carrion injected himself with some skin lesions. He was a medical student and died three weeks after, so they also known as Carrion's disease. So this, this bug causes vascular endothelial growth factor uh, to be prominent. It augments it. So it's now linked to inflammatory breast cancer and, um, and uh, malignant melanoma. And, uh, it's fairly scary. It's the number one cause of culture-negative endocarditis worldwide. And like I said, 50% of veterans are seropositive. And um, this is a recent study from two years ago. This is uh, out of North Carolina State University. I'm going to visit Ed Breitschert there in October. And uh, this is a small study, but pretty significant. So again, 65%. Remember that number? 11 to 17 patients we're positive for Bartonella with schizophrenia. Why aren't we looking at all our psychiatric facilities like this? <clears throat> Here's a uh, looking at the homeless. You know, they found 25% positive in the Denver area. I'm sure it's the same everywhere. Why consider it? Uh, it, it attacks the endothelial cells. And um, so it causes um, subcortical symptoms in your brain. The white matter sits outside the gray matter. It has no collateral flow. So these bugs get into the endothelium. They form these, they live in biofilms. They occlude the vasculature of your white matter. So you have ischemic areas in your brain. They're called subcortical symptoms. So this is, this is the brain fog. This is not dementia, it's brain fog. You can't, you can't figure things out. And uh, there was a psychiatrist in Canada um, 
in the 50s, who was a, a food scientist, a biochemist, and he noted when the uh, when they they fortified the, the cereal with uh, vitamin with niacin, vitamin B3, his schizophrenic patients got better. So he was food scientist. He worked it out. So he started treating his his schizophrenic patients with niacin, and uh, they were better. And so what niacin does, it causes extreme vasodilatation. So I read this, I tried it on my son. It was a Monday, I remember, a Monday, March ago, four, four years ago. And he's florally psychotic. I gave him 24 hours of niacin. He was laughing, he was his old self on Wednesday, he went skiing that weekend. Now it's hard to sustain, unfortunately, because it, it's, it's true, it's water, so all the B vitamins are water soluble, they're quickly excreted, but it works. And so it was strictly by vasodilatation that works. And uh, Robert Moziani's lectured extensively on this. And there's ways to do subcortical Dopplers. The neurologists in Europe are trained on this. Not so much here, but you can, uh, if you know how to use a Doppler, you can see this. And so these are the, there's some symptoms that are just kind of pathognomonic for Bartonella. The rage goes with, also goes with Borrelia, but um, if you get a if you get a uh, a cat bite or scratch in your arm, you develop this. You usually have a lymph node in the axilla, in the leg, in the groin. Unexplained coughs, kind of strange, and these stretch marks, the Bartonella tracks. And of note, the pain in the shins. I don't know of anything else that gives you pain in the shins and pain in your soles of the feet when you wake up in the morning, like you've got hot feet, you can't walk. Really unique. And uh, this, again, is suicide. So Robert Bransfield, um, he, he's, the, he's the nation's lead expert in suicide murders related to tick-borne disease. And he looked at his patient population. He's in New Jersey. He's been at, he's in his 70s, he's been at this for, for 35 years. And um, he did some really good computer modeling and figured out that it, he gets called in across the country for murder-suicides. And he figured out, based on his patient population, there was 1,244 murder suicides a year related to tick-borne disease. And that's just kind of his numbers. And, you know, that's out of about 45,000 suicides a year. So here's the uh, architecture of the, um, the biofilm. It can be both sessile and mobile. But it takes a thousand-fold higher um, dose of antibiotics to penetrate this. And these are where these bugs hang out, um, really tough to treat. So when um, people who understand Lyme disease you utilize uh, biofilm busters. And uh, there's a whole host of those, mostly botanicals, almost all botanicals. But this is, this is the root cause of most of our health problems, from arthritis and dementia to, obviously, tick-borne diseases. Uh, I'm going to skip through this on culturing. They're tough to culture. So hazard for uh, veterinarians, definitely. Um, inflammatory breast cancer, skin lesions. So this is what they look like. It looks like you've been, you've been whipped there. But they're linear, and they can be papular in nature. Now this is what my son's side looked like too. I did not know this. Take note. You can biopsy the bug from those lesions. That's the collagen being destroyed. That's why they're purplish like that. There's blood leaking out. And the lower back. This is uh, vesicular angiomatosis. That's an age picture from the 90s. It also causes um, the vesicular endothelial growth factor causes problems in the liver also. It's called peliosis habitus. And uh, the, in Europe, there's two other species that cause 
Uh, this is out of order. This should have been with the brilliant before. We're in the Bardock section, but it's a rash. And so um, these bugs, they don't get the they don't get the bullseye as much. They get this acromyitis chronica atrophicans. And people travel to Europe, so you can see this here too, and they see the other lesion there, but predominantly they see this as opposed to the bullseye rash. And you can also have this angiomatosis, the red bunsen scab, more of the same, malignant melanoma. So symptoms are highly variable in Bartonella and not severely debilitating. The spectrum symptoms widely overlaps with other low virulence microbes. The average doctor would mark it off as simply aging or offer on a, a prescription to control the symptoms. And there we are. That's what. That's the problem. Are all diseases infectious? And these are some of the stealth microbes. And note Bartonella. I've got 17 infect humans. It's 20. You know, and that's probably two years old. All sorts of bugs do this, and they stay under the radar. Uh, unique. One Health talks about these things are infecting veterinary medicine as well. So the One Health Initiative is working together with veterinarians and humans together. The dog model is very accurate to what humans suffer. They get endocarditis just like we do. They're intracellular, so they, they're evasive to our immune system. I already had that, sorry about that. Okay, why look for co-infections? The symptoms are, are non-specific, fewer head acknowledges. Even with uh, pathognomonic signs, you haven't ruled out co-infections, and they're common. This is my only uh, cartoon I have for you guys. He says, insurers are often accept positive two-tier testing, only accept, this is the problem. Doc, can you see the problem? I'm afraid so. So we're up against this trifecta of insurance companies, the pharmaceutical companies, and medical leadership hubris. And here's a little inkling as to how much we're spending on NIH, HIV AIDS. This is 18 numbers, they're worse than this. $82,000 per case. Malaria, $101,000 per case. West Nile virus, $13,000. TB at the bottom, $44,000. Now if you look at, if it's truly, uh, 33,000, which is not, that's $891 a case, but it's really half, almost a half million. So we're spending a little over $60 a case for Lyme disease. And this is an important take home for all docs out there. You gotta be curious, you gotta be thinking about what else is going on with your patient. This is the organization I recommend everyone check out. Their website's good, the recommendations are there. You can do a physician finder there as well, put in your uh, zip code. This is uh, iGenics Labs. Uh, I've dealt with them for myself, my son, and my daughter. They, they're excellent. Uh, just, this is just a little aside from me. We had terrible sleeping problems. These are just some suggestions I put up. I did not put much else up about treatments. But uh, the 99 organic tea is not to be uh, discounted. This stuff works. I learned that from uh, one of our acupuncturists. And this is just the only botanical I want people to be aware of. Check out Japanese knotweed. This is amazing stuff. It'll help with everything. No downside unless you're taking anticoagulants. Avoiding pregnancy. So here's a little acronym to take home. Avoid areas where ticks live, the thriving woodpiles, leaf litter, long grass, beach grass, 
stone walls, where lawn meets the wood, right at the perimeter, wear like color clothing, tuck them in, closed shoes, no sandals, even in short grass. Um, this is the new paradigm we live with. Apply tick repellent to your skin, you know, not, don't use D for kids because it's neurotoxic. 20% per carbon is the insecticide to use. Permethrin on your clothes, particularly if you're clothes, you don't even get a chance to do your, clo your clothes to see your shoes. The good studies that show that's, that works. And take them off from the dryer, 15 minutes kills live ticks. A wash alone will not kill them. Examine yourself and your pets daily. The pets are, this is a real problem. Um, and they feel, and look at all the hard to see spots, you know, behind your ears, your hair, your back, axilla, groin, belly button, behind your knees, between your toes, between your fingers. Um, that's where they like to go, in moist areas that are, hard, that are hard to find. And hopefully we don't, maybe we should have signs like this up everywhere. This is an endemic area. This is what you, this is what you see when you go to a park in Connecticut. This is what, how they, uh, in highly endemic areas, this is how you garden. Pull them out as soon as you can. Here's the Tiki's kit, and there's the shape on the bottom, which is a hockey, uh, the hockey puck shaped uh, tweezers to remove it. And here's the uh, permethrin. You can get it on Amazon as a carton. And look out for your pets. And here's some resources. I mean, docs and clinicians can read these too. They're all great. But these are, um, anyone can read these with a modicum of intelligence. Um, they're not physician-centric. And they're all on my website, on my son's website, alexplace.com. And here's some more specific ones. These are a little more technical, particularly the first two, the last one, and the healing lime. Uh, actually, all of them are chronic, uh, are a little more challenging. But uh, chronic's a great read. That Stephen Phillips was sick for two years with Lyme. Dana Parrish almost died with it. Kinlar, they all had, um, not Fallon, but Kinlar, Phillips, Parrish, and Horace has just fixed his, his wife with uh, double dope Dapsone. I didn't get into, I'm not gonna get into much of a way for treating Borrelia, but um, Dapsone is an old drug used for treating leprosy, and he's uh, using double dose. They're trying to do a double <coughs> a controlled study on that right now, but there's some good case reports. And disulfiram has also been used as anti-abuse. Um, it, it can be neurotoxic. I caution people using that. Some people do, but um, it's an older drug as well. And uh, just just a thought. I was at, I was visiting my family, and I'm the TV's on, and I said I don't watch that much TV. I, I watch plenty of movies, but I don't watch the TV that much. So, and I'm watching them. A half hour, I had four of these immunosuppressant drugs come up, and you've all seen them. Okay, so I looked one up. One of these MS drugs, 65 grand a year. Another one, 20 grand a quarter. And it goes on and on. You know, apart from, I, I get it on transplants. I, I've been in the transplant world way too long in University of Wisconsin. But apart from the transplants, all these people are doing with these drugs are knocking down symptoms. Okay, there's no root cause treatment. It's palliative care. Okay, and we're breaking the bank. Those drugs could buy a lot of hygienics, tick-borne disease tests. Forty billion dollars a year, and this is, and Wall Street has actually gone on record saying these come, no one should no one should fix this, these problems because these people this is like a, the golden annuity, the golden 
<clears throat> the golden goose here. Why would you want to kill the golden goose? If you're on, uh, if you're a psych uh, schizophrenic, $10,000 a year minimum for antipsychotic drugs for the newer agents. Why would you want to cure a schizophrenic? You got a lifetime annuity. And uh, this, this deserves mention. So I don't, the past merchants of death, tobacco soon, petroleum so you gotta like these guys. They're basically just lobbying firms for the industry. Now the tobacco institute went away in 98 when they had to cough up $368 billion for tobacco injuries to the states. Petroleum Institute's still going along, but they're, you know, they're not doing research. They're just covering up what they do. Um, but, you know, the, um, the folks at the CDC didn't want to miss out on this act. So one of the really good organizations in the Lyme world is the Lyme Disease Foundation. So the CDC guys came along and decided, let's just throw the American Lyme Disease Association, the American in front of it. So this is run by Phil Baker. He's the past president of the National Institute of Health. And if you go on their website, they dispute everything I've just told you, point by point. And I just went through them all this week. And somebody with, uh, you know, a couple of science degrees, a, a couple of science classes in college could figure it out how, what utter nonsense it is. But they're pulling the wool over people's eyes. And if you don't know any better and you're looking for help in the Lyme world, you go to this, one dose of doxycycline, just fine. You don't need to check out autism, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's. Lyme can't cause it. So these are our friends. This is our tax money at work. Okay, so this is a TED Talk you know, I'd like everyone to take home with. This is great. So the fact that most of the biggest catastrophes that we've witnessed really come from information that is secret or hidden. It comes from information that is freely available, available and out there. But there we're, we are willfully blind to because we can't handle, don't want to handle the conflict it provokes. But when we dare to see and we create conflict, we enable ourselves and the people around us to do our very best thinking. It's kind of like Al Gore's The Inconvenient Truth. It's inconvenient this stuff exists. I don't like it. I don't like losing family members and hearing about all the people who are sick. But it's out there. And we have people in the medical world, in our medical healthcare, our healthcare system that are choosing to ignore this. And unfortunately, this is probably what it's going to take. <clears throat> Max Planck was a 19th century physicist in Germany. And there's some good quotes by Alistair I had to throw in. A good physician treats the disease, the great physician treats the patient who has the disease. Listen to your patient, he's telling you the diagnosis. Medicine is a science of uncertainty and the art of probability. The greater the ignorance, the greater the dogmatism. I wish some people would listen to some of these things that are at the CDC. And Gandhi had a nice saying, you must be the change you want to see in the world. And next, on the 12th, uh, the Michigan Lyme Disease Association is meeting at Grace Library, the Grace Adele Memorial Library. And, uh, Thank them for what they do, raising awareness. And uh, Buddha had the final saying things. Three things cannot be hidden, the sun, the moon, the truth. And good science is going to win out over this. It already has. We just have to make sure the right people see it. And uh, that's my six-year-old. <laughs> Thank you.
sorry it just took so long and we're missing the lines on the YouTube. No, you're, you're perfect. You're perfect, thank you. Wait, I have a question. If I mention one thing, I had this uh, Greek woman come in the office, and a lot of dentists don't know this. I think a lot of them said about this. She was a perfect patient. Never, never, never had any problems. She got Lyme disease, and I anesthetized her one day four times, and I found out from the doctor that to you from Saginaw, because all these family members had Lyme disease. In your anesthetics do not work effectively in a Lyme disease, uh, disease patient. Were you all aware of that? No, the uh the old anesthesia adage that the red-haired folks are hard in us, that is it's true. There's some HLA linkage there. Um, what? <laughs> yeah, there, there is some. I'm glad you brought it up about the anesthetics. So, so in uh, anesthesiology, we use uh, dexamethasone for an anti-nausea drug. And this is what I mentioned about uh, looking at patterns. So if, you're, if you have an exacerbation of your Lyme problem after anesthesia and they give you dexamethasone or any steroid, you have poison oak or poison ivy, you get a metal dose back and you're worse, you know, steroids are to treat an inflammation. They don't help infections. They make them worse. So that's the only commentary I can make on that. But I, I'm not aware of anything about um, Lyme disease causing anesthesia problems. Yes? There's been studies that people with schizophrenia on each class of the 25% of the plain matter, which they suggested that that is interesting to say, yeah, and also something that's in the way that you should have treatment. Oh, oh, yes, yeah. The other thing is, um, I don't have compounds. Okay. Oh, I take it myself. I'll talk about that. So low dose naltrexone is well proven to cause uh, help in a chronic pain situation, but in particular, when it comes to the neuroinflammation, it diminishes the production of glial cells. And glial cells, if, if you want to if you have a brain you want to avoid neuroinflammation and dementia, start on low-dose naltrexone. Now, naltrexone is an opioid, opioid agonist, uh, antagonist, similar to naloxone, which you use for opioid overdoses. But naltrexone is different, and it's used at a very small dose. When you go to a pharmacist and they, you tell them the dose you want, which is working up to 4.5 milligrams twice a day, They'll kind of shake their head and go, we don't know anything about that. So you have to go to a compounding pharmacist, and you start low, 1.5 milligrams once a day, then work up to twice a day a week, and then work up. And it works. There's lots of good science behind it. Thank you for bringing that up. The other thing I have a patient that um, he had my son broke into my med kit. I had some ketamine for um, wilderness medicine things, and he got relief. Although, when I talk to the, my psychiatrist friends, if you have psychosis, they're very reluctant. Now, if you had depression, yes. But with psychosis, they're, they're very reluctant to explore that. And I pushed that hard, and I couldn't get anybody to come with it. Bipolar, okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, good.
Okay. So low-dose ketamine? Are you doing it or are you sending them to a clinic? How, how many milligrams? 15 milligrams three times a day to start. This is oral, intranasal, or IV, or IM? It's oral, because I guess all I can get is yeah, the okay. compound in pharmacy. Okay. Um, but three times a day, and I have patients that have a lot of arthritic pain. This woman could walk up the stairs, and she has known that year she was on opioids, and she Okay, Well, ketamine, I use a lot of it. Ketamine is an intense analgesic. It'll help everybody's pains, but it's a dissociative anesthetic also. So. Not a low dose, you're right, not a bad dose, right. Does anyone else have any questions? All right, thank you. Sorry for so long. This program is presented by a community producer through Midland Community Television. The City of Midland and MCTV are not responsible for the content of the program. The views presented do not necessarily represent those of the City of Midland or MCTV. If you would like to produce your own program, contact MCTV at 837-3474 or access our website, cityofmidlandmi.gov MCTV. We hope you enjoy the following presentation.